Hello there, I'm Kimberly Hayes-Lamuva. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Fundraising Heyday. Where we cover the how-tos of grants and fundraising. And how we can do a better job of changing the world. Hey there, we are thrilled at the Fundraising Heyday podcast to bring in Kim, Joyce, and Associates as a sponsor. This incredible grant consulting firm based in Arizona has worked with nonprofits, for-profits, agencies of all sizes, from tribal governments to hospitals, universities, and everything in between. CEO Kim Joyce is here to share some really interesting tips and tricks that she's learned in her lived experience in this incredibly successful firm. We're so glad you could join us. Okay, so... Kim, you serve clients locally as well as those that are all over the country. What would you say is the best way to get to know a new client and build that relationship so you can work together successfully? Many of our clients have been with us for eight to 10 years or longer. So I love building long-term relationships and growing grants programs. So our goal is to be their trusted resource throughout the entire grant lifecycle. So to really get to know a client, we spend time with them. We commit to active listening. We build trust through everyday interactions and doing what we say we're going to do. We put out an excellent quality product. Uh, We also build trust through grants that are funded. We commit to open, honest communication when things are going well and even when things aren't having those hard conversations that are respectful, clear, and kind are necessary. We promote regular accountability on all parts through weekly client calls. We make sure our clients know we are staying abreast of trends in our sector and committed to lifelong learning, training, and professional development so we can always remain the experts and know how things may affect our clients and their work. To find out more about the incredible team at Kim Joyce and Associates, visit KimJoyceAndAssociates.com. If you want to join a consulting firm who places value on integrity, excellence, and community, check out the Career Opportunities page. Kim is always on the lookout for her next great hire, as well as her next great client. Well, hey, friends, I wanted to let you know that the very first Fundraising Heyday Book Club was last month, and we had an incredible time talking about the book and building community, and it was just fabulous. So if you've been on the fence about joining us, let me encourage you to take the plunge. Um, It's not too late to join. Um, We will be meeting next time on February 15th. It's from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, It's always the third Thursday of each month. This time we're going to read a work of fiction. It's called Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. Still plenty of time for you to get your read on. Um, So all you have to do is just mosey on over to heydayservices.com. Click on the book club logo and that'll take you to the registration process. You could give us a try for one month or six months or a full year. So we'd love to have you join our growing book community. And it's a book club where we actually talk about the book. So fair warning. Yes. Uh, So today, Amanda and I are going to be talking about writing tips for grant pros, whether you're working on an LOI for a family foundation or winding your way through a large federal grant proposal. There 
they're always tips and tricks or just words of experience and encouragement to make the grant writing process easier. So let's go ahead and jump into grant writing tips for grant professionals. I'd like to kick off the list with number one, because this isn't a good way to start. <laughs> um, and then the first three, right? The first three are going to be more centered around online portals, which are really good because I am a grant pro of a certain age. And I can remember when grant portals were like new and confusing and did not function very well, as opposed to today when many grant portals are confusing and don't work very well. But then others do, and it's great because it saves paper and time and postage. So um, first off, and you don't even need to ask me how I know, because I'm going to tell you how I know. <laughs> when you're working in an online portal, please, please, please go ahead and create a template in Word or a Google Doc or your, you know, your Word application of choice, right? Have it mirror the portal. Um, sidebar, sometimes it's hard to get the questions and you have to fake the answers in order to get to the next page to download all the questions and that sucks. But try as best you can to get the template that mirrors the actual portal itself, because you don't want to just freeform enter into the portal because your power could go out at your job and you could lose everything that you spent the last hour putting in. Hi, hello. Hmm. Has this happened uh, to you before, Kimberly? Yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> and it could be a squirrel could be chewed through some cable somewhere. We're in Atlanta. Weirdness happens, you know, with squirrels and trees. Mm -hmm. Like could have had a terrible wreck because we got bad traffic and run into a transformer. It doesn't matter. It could be a storm. Anything. Or it just could be that your um computer, she's tired and she needs a rest. We don't know. But some portals you out. Right. And just having that they are you're timed out or their server goes down. I mean, many, many things. Also, if you are working on a team, which I hope you are, if you're writing a grant then um, you want to have other people look at it. And if multiple people try and sign into the portal at the same time, bad things can also happen. Um, so anyway, working from a template, job one for me, in any size portal, federal, Walmart, one pager for $1,000, whatever it is, man, just make the template, work and edit off that. And then when you're ready, cut and paste, cut and paste. That's yeah. number one. Yep. Well, and following up on that, because I too, I'm like, Kimberly, I move everything to a Word document because it just helps with spell check and grammar and again, sharing with other people to get their feedback. My learn the hard way lesson with the portal was because I was just looking at the questions, typing them in my Word document, did not realize until about the day before a grant was due that some of sometimes you'll have like drop down menus like where you either you're answering yes or no or maybe you're choosing from a, a litany of um responses but based on what you selected then suddenly appeared 10 new questions based on your answer mm, so yeah. yeah so i was like oh we have more questions to answer and we've got to make sure it all flows and some of the questions were similar to other ones we had already answered so trying to figure out Let's just say it was a pain in my rear. So I've learned as I'm doing my copy and paste and moving things over, I play with the drop down menus and I put answers in different answers to see if it then populates additional questions. 
Um, and if not, then great, we'd move on. But if it does, at least I know, okay, let's quickly figure out the answer to this question and then figure out what our additional answers need to be. Because you don't want to be, can you imagine if you were cutting and pasting everything in like an hour before the grant was due and suddenly 10 new questions popped up? Not that we're saying that's ideal. <laughs> no, but, but it can be a reality. It can absolutely. Be so if you're also working with the team, this comes up a lot for me with my clients because I'll I'll supply that the completed template and they're actually cutting and pasting in. Uh -huh. It's it's a way, you know, different different consultants do things different ways, different clients have different ways. But I want to make sure I've covered every single thing because they if they choose to put it in at the last minute, I don't want them to be like, oh, hey. There are 10 more questions, and that's no one's going to have a good day. No one's going to have a good day. Um, so to round off the portal theme of our first tips and tricks section here, um, I want to talk about character counts. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to rant. I'm just going to say I think character counts are just a big load of crap, right? And I'm even cleaning up my language so very much because <laughs> I think really? on the call with me. Um, <laughs> it really... It's really unnecessary. Um, I, it, it actually, if if funders think it's saving time, the only people who are being saved time are the grant reviewers, not the um, grant seekers who have to play these stupid games that I'm getting ready to talk about. So that being said, yeah. let's play a stupid game. Oh, is that what's that scary movie where he says, let's play a game? I've never watched it, but it should have scared me. Oh, you know, I haven't watched it because I don't do scary movies. Yeah, anyway, oh. there's a scary movie where this little puppet thing does that. and I think it's Saw, and there's like 10,000 of them. And... I, think I'm, I think I'm off on a tangent, so let me rate it back. Back to character counts, no scary puppet dudes, because, you know. Um, one thing, sometimes you're looking at your online because you're still in online lane you're looking at your portal you're in there tooling around and sometimes it's really clear maximum um uh, 2,000 characters 500 characters 50 characters 50 words whatever it is words characters um and then you'll get to a box where there is nothing never assume that there's not a limit just assume that someone was having an off day and they didn't fully complete their form but they're making you fill out even though it's taking you much more time to make it simpler for them let me just back away from that. But just know that you might want to test it out by um, just putting in just words, you know, fake words, letters, typing, typing to see if you look down at the bottom to see if it's like um, 400 characters out of 1,500, you know, or, or it might say number of characters remaining. That's your clue that there is a character limit that they just forgot to a label. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes it genuinely happens that there's yeah. not. Well, and I've seen some where they, they don't show you the limit until you've gone over it. So like I've learned the hard way, I will like just go grab another old grant application and like copy five pages of text and dump it in there to see if it pops anything <laughs> up because I have written <laughs> beautiful responses to things and then realized I have 50 words. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So cutting and pasting for link is a great idea to test that. Just be very mindful as you're doing this because you want to make sure that you pull out that old test text and insert new text because you don't want to do anything like but use the wrong name of the funder because you've cut and pasted. And you know what I mean? That, yeah. Well, just be mindful of what you're doing. And here's the thing that also I am getting chaffed about this and I'm trying so hard not to, but seriously, 
all these tips and tricks are because grant writers are forced through different hoops of different sizes for different funders for no other reason than someone thought it was a good idea. Maybe someone yeah. who's never actually completed a grant proposal before. So I'm telling you, I don't think this process is fair or right. I'm giving you tips and Amanda's giving you tips to help you through a process that we think is is ridiculously um, unwarranted in many, many cases, or could be standardized, or could just, yeah, could just be different. Mm -hmm. But until it is, we want to help you through that. Um, I think we've talked about too, um, sometimes, and Amanda gave the great example of using sort of dummy text to see, you know, fake text or, or an older grant or, or an old paragraph or two, to see sometimes, sometimes you think your character count is right on because I I it's almost like a weird game with me. It's like if I if it makes sense, I'll take it right up to the limit, right? Because especially if they give you 1,500 characters and they ask four questions or something crazy, and I'll be like, 1,500. And then you go to paste it in. And it says 1,499 in your Word document or your Google Docs, you know, where you can count the number of uh, words or characters. And then you paste it in and you're over. Yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on, but it happens sometimes. So just know that that could happen. So then you need to be like, and I've never done this before, but I imagine it's like pruning a bonsai tree, you know, where you got to go in and cut those, you know, those little bitty trees that they cultivate as sort of yes. whatever they are as yep. a medical practice. So it can be, you can think that you're on it and you're like three characters over. Just be aware that you can always go in and maybe take out an article or change or or um, change punctuation or something and you can get it down there, but it is a practice and it, sometimes it can happen. What your um, software says is the character count is not the character count in the portal and i'm sorry but just yeah. know that sometimes that happens more often than not it won't but it might and guess who you're going with you're going with the application versus whatever you're signing because yeah, i mean otherwise your last few characters just aren't going to be in the page it'll be like you just stopped writing yeah so don't do that <laughs> okay so moving on from portals because really we could probably talk about them all day but let's feel the bile rising so let's <laughs> Let's share some other tips. So for me, when it comes to writing, and Kimberly has said this a million times on our podcast, like 80% of grant writing is not writing, right? It's all the other stuff. And so this is I one of those, behind it. I stand behind this it. is one of those grant writing tips that really isn't about the writing, but it's about what you need to do to be able to write. So when I get a grant application, especially when it's one of those huge federal proposals, or maybe even a big foundation application, um, I'm reading through it thinking, what are all the things that I don't have that I need from other people? And whether that's information to answer some of these questions, like, oh, I know I'm going to need data. Like when I work on the assistance to firefighters grant, that is so heavy in data about the number of calls and the number of trucks you have and the age of these, all these things, right? And I'm like, I don't know that. I also don't have that information at my fingertips. So I start figuring out, who do I need to talk to? Which of my colleagues, which of my partners, if it's a client, you know, who 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 at that client's office is going to have this information and can get it for me. So 
But then it's not just information. It's also documents, right? Sometimes you need maps or support letters or a resolution or who knows what you need, right? You might need financial information that you don't have. So I'm always from the get-go figuring out what is it I need from other people? And that's what I do first because I don't want to be the person that goes, hey, I've got a grant due tomorrow and I need this from you now. I like to be like, which happens, it does happen, but I like it to be so rare that when I do, they're willing to do it because they're like, this is not Amanda's norm. She's she's in a pickle here. Normally, I like to say, hey, I've got a grant due in the coming weeks. I need X, Y, and Z. Could you please get it for me to me by this date? Any questions, let me know. And the date I give them, it's not the day before the grant is due. It's not the day. I don't even tell them when the grant is due, right? I just tell them this is the date I need your information because inevitably everybody pushes it to the last minute. I do it. I, if someone tells me they need something Friday, they'll get it by Friday probably. Because With clients sometimes, I mean, y'all, yes. we all know. Yes. But then I tell them if they're gathering, if we're gathering information to other people, I'm like, don't tell them. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, know, I know it sounds like we're encouraging lack of transparency and Perhaps we are, but we're also encouraging well-balanced lives, not filled with Yeah. So, so that's one of the first thing I do is just figure out what do I need from other people? And I get going on that information before I ever write a single word on a page. Um, and that kind of goes in with the next tip, but we're up to, I think we're up to five now. Number five. And um, along with, going to going outward first right to get all your attachments and logic models and budgets and numbers and data going out first and then going inward going going inside for yourself to write the grant once you do the 80 percent, get on the 20 but know that for me the 80 percent has always come first and when i put the 20 before the 80 i end up doing 150 percent effort it's just anyway the, grant the math, math mathing it's grant math um, so that aside, right, I want you to go ahead, please, and go get all those letters of support and all that other external stuff in your budgets and your attachments and all that, get that going. But when you're ready after gathering that information to write a narrative, particularly for a state or federal proposal or a complex program proposal to a large private foundation, you're going to sit down to your narrative. And this is where I'm going with this tip. Make subheads your friends, even if they don't appear in the final document, because you can do, as I've just talked about, and Amanda's just talked about, we don't recommend actual completing all of the basic components of the grant in the order in which they appear on the application, right? Do I, I'm all for, let's get the budget, goals, objectives, logic model out of the way, because if I have that set, then the narrative is so much easier to write. Mm. But obviously, when I'm writing the narrative in its final form, I am going to go question by question that they're asking. And each question can be a subhead while I'm writing because I don't want to not answer a question. And I love to write. I, I like fiction. I'm a reader. I enjoy it. I like a smooth flowing narrative. But sometimes, the questions in an application and the narrative program description, for example, need statement, aren't necessarily asked in the most compelling novelistic way. And so I just get over myself and I answer them in order because then I'm, I'm putting on my grant reviewer hat. 
right? And I'm thinking I'm sitting there and it's at night or on the weekends and I'm reviewing grants because no one really reviews grants full time, right? It's something you do extra. And the, here's the scoring rubric. I want it to, I want to go bing, bing, bing. I want to check off and see those things. And yes, I know I just realized I was bitching about funders doing things for their own gain. And here I am talking about make it easy for me as a grant reviewer. I said what I said, but if you really want to get the most points, you want to make sure that you're going in and answering every single question. Um, if you don't have that organizational framework and it's really easy to miss something. Another thing that I do, again, for longer complex, um, if they're asking more than three, two or three questions for each section of the grant, I'm going to be using working with the subheads and then working in that template that we talked about, I'm going to be um, putting the verbiage from the NOFO or the OFA or the RFP, whatever your instructional guide, whatever acronym it is, the grant instruction guide for each section. I'm cutting and pasting that language so that I can review it while I'm writing. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about working in Google Docs and working in Word. You can have all these tricked out documents and then as you go through your review process, you can take those away after you've ascertained that you've already hit all the, the points. Um, you can also take out those subheads of spaces at a premium, but then if you do that in the final draft, just make sure that you, you can use like an underline or something, um, as long as your document isn't too busy, to set that off so that someone reviewing it is like, oh, they're now talking about who their target population is, why they chose that model and um, what their uh, geographic area is, because that's the order in which they 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 mm -hmm. ask them. So, I I wouldn't describe myself as a big rule follower throughout my life at all, but I think it's easier to have a man's like, yeah, no, but um, but having a framework for this kind of complex grant writing just makes it easier even though it seems fussy and when i'm the one writing it out trust me just drop that in come up with a with a formula that works for you and stick to it and it's, you're going to turn out with more competitive grants because you're hitting everything yep absolutely yeah i like the use of the headings in it yeah if i can keep them in i try to because i think absolutely. it gives but, them for the reviewer to stop and think okay next section i can pause i can we're gonna drink. Can... The whole question you could just say target population. Yep. Uh, you know, organization history, whatever your whatever your yep. answer. You Absolutely. Know. And and they're great to keep in. That's a good point, man. If you can keep them in, do particularly for like if you're working on a state or federal grant where you have like 30, 40 pages, 50, 100 pages of narration, that's gonna be really good. But if you're working with either within a portal situation kind of uh -huh. thing, working with you only have 10 pages to tell a story of a 40 partner collaborative network. Yeah. Um, yep. Well, and I, I will tell you, cause I am the rule follower. Like when I, you, <laughs> you know, of course I've only been doing foundation grants of the, you know, the last several years now. And I learned from my good buddy, David Broussard, even in an LOI, you can put in headings, which I was like, it's a letter. Oh, yeah. I've got to make it very much a letter. But yeah. he was like, no, they want you to cover these three sections. So let's put, you know, let's rephrase. They've got this long thing. Let's rephrase it. And we, you know, we'll either bold it or capitalize it or under something to make it stand out. And so I'm like, heck, I I do it in federal grants. Well, duh, sure. I can use it in my LOIs too. Oh, and I do. 
And even it, now, if the LOI is a page and they're asking a thousand questions that may not work. Yes. I've even used it in letters of support to talk yeah. about, you know, this is a letter of support for organization X, like our partnership, blah, 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 our commitment. And I know that sounds a little corny, but I'm like, there will be no uh, ambiguity about yeah. where stuff is. If it's I'm a longer one or anyway. So yeah, don't be afraid of the subhead. So, so tip number six, um, I like to use the funder guidelines. So again, I know a lot of small family foundations, they're just like, send us a letter. That's not very <laughs> Okay. Yeah, sure. I can do that. But you know, if they actually do give you a set of instructions, um, whether it's a page or 150 pages, as you're reading those guidelines, um, you'll start realizing they use a lot of words over and over again. And so when I start seeing the repetitive use of words or language or phrases, I will highlight those and find a way to regurgitate that back to the funder because I'm like, clearly, this is important to them. Right. Um, and it's not only like different words, but it may even be how they classify or just the phraseology. So to give you an example, um, I work with a small community clinic that we um, often um, help do diabetes type education programs. And so I often use the phrase people with diabetes. Well, if my funder is calling it people experiencing diabetes, if that's the phrase they use, I'm going to use the same phrase, because I'm going to use the terminology that they are clearly happy with, they're comfortable with. And this just, you know, they may not even notice it, but they're going to be familiar and comfortable with it because that's what they're using, which anything I can make them feel like, okay, I know what's, I know what's going on here. I, I like to do that. So that's another tip This just take their language and spit it right back out at them. And also just the caveat here as, as, uh, ways of describing particular things or groups of people evolves. I've found over the years that often it's the foundations. It, it depends on what it is and it depends on who you're writing to. Yeah. But a lot of times um, in the human service arena, I'll talk about that. A lot of times the larger foundations are going to be more quickly uh, adapting the more appropriate terms. Yeah. So Keep that in mind. And sometimes, sometimes you can learn from each other. Mm -hmm. um, but I just remember there was, um, I was writing for a, a smaller nonprofit. It was a smaller foundation, but instead of older adults, they were saying seniors and um, elderly and things like that. So I did use, I, I was like, oh, okay. But like, that was their focus area. It was the elderly. So I couldn't go, I wasn't going to call for them. You know, you should really say older adults. But I alternated. Like, I was like, this, since you're focusing on the elderly, we have this program for older adults that does blah, 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 blah. So I kind of, so yeah. you can kind of, you can use your language maybe as a subtle educational tool as well. But usually it's, it, it, it also be the other way around. Yeah, very Just true. Very true. Um, so tip number seven, right? We're up to number seven because I um this is just a big deal for me. Um, and again, I'm going to don my grant reviewer chapeau and I'm going to talk about making sure that your narrative, right, matches your budget and vice versa. And I get that sometimes budgets are made on the fly. I get that in the real world, maybe someone else from another department 
is put is providing you with a budget. And I, I understand all of that, but as a grant reviewer, it's a real red flag. Also, things are going fast. You're like, oh, dear God, let me just attach all these things and send it. Oh, my God. <laughs> you're done. But if just take a minute, and especially if there are enormous changes or even small changes in the budget at the last yeah. minute, because if you have written this whole program to um, serve um, 150 after-school students with two um, uh, uh, it's not cargo vans, it's transport vans because kids are not cargo. The big vans with the that are not buses that have the seats in them. That's what I'm talking about. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, there's uh, 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 an individual donor that says, well, I can double that. You need to go back in all through your narrative and talk about now instead of uh, two buses, there'll be four buses. And now we'll be serving 400 kids. Yeah. And I'm making up numbers but it affects everything and yes. i know it's tedious and i know it's a pain in the butt but if you aren't doing that then there there's not there's going to be a real disconnect because in the grant proposal itself you're trying to demonstrate that the organization that you either where you either work or where you consult understands how to run a program and understands how to calculate costs and understands the components yeah. So reflected and another way to think of it is um that's another great reason to get the budget rocking and rolling up front before you start your narrative mm -hmm. but, uh, people turn around and want to change things at the last minute and that's also a great educate up moment to say one if we change the number here we can but it's going to be changed all over here and that may affect us yeah. being able to meet the deadline Mm -hmm. we may, or I may need extra help or I may need, you know, it's it's not if, if your boss is just going and going, oh, well, just add another bus. It's like, no, we need to go in and recalculate everything. So there's a moment of educating up about how it's all connected. And um, in my first few years, I didn't believe this, but I firmly believe it now and I stand behind it that a budgets are just another way to tell the story. You're just using numbers and line items. Yeah. And I used to really resent budget justifications, but now I'm like, oh, let me tell you all the things so that, and then you got to make sure that all three of those things match up. So um, just something to keep in mind. And it's so easy to overlook in the heat of the moment. And it's also easy to kind of forget about a little if you're coming to grant writing because you're a writer and not necessarily you didn't start as a finance person. And there are no wrong paths. It's just different paths. Yep, very true. Well, I'm coming in with tip number eight, which is really just find a writing system that works for you. And there is no right or wrong way, right? I know some people that just love themselves a logic model and whether the grant requires it or not, they will build one out. And that is their template for then filling in all the sections of the grant. Um, I know some people like to draft an outline, like they'll kind of do what Kimberly says, talk, figure out, okay, here's all the sections of what needs to go. And they may with bullet points be like, okay, I need to do this, 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 and this. Um, some people just jump in and start writing once they gather their information. Me, I'm kind of like Kimberly. I like to start with my budget. Once I can get that pretty firmed up, then I feel like I'm free to start writing and making sure everything aligns. Um, yeah. But there, there's no, there's no right or wrong way. And, you know, some people do like to write in the exact order because that's how their brain thinks. That's fine. Do that. But don't feel like you have to do it that way because at the end of the day, you just have to have all the sections done. Um, I will tell. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know that I've told this story on the podcast before, but when I first started writing grants, way back, we're going back in time, Kimberly. <laughs> back in 2001, when I started writing grants, yes, I had a computer, but I had only been working for like a year. And I, my big, like the biggest things I had ever written up until that point would have been papers in college, right? And even though we had a computer lab at school, I did not have a computer in my dorm room. So like my papers were always written out by hand first, right? As you would do your research and you'd put everything together and then I'd go and transfer it and, you know, fix it as I went if need be. The first year or two I wrote grants, that's how I wrote grants. I would write them out. But it worked like it gave me time to slowly think about it and put everything together. And then as I transferred it, I could make changes on the fly. But I don't do that anymore, mostly just because of the time consuming. But for a while, that was what worked for me. And that's as I was learning, that's the way I did it. And there's no shame in my game. I got grant funded that way. So figure out a system of writing that works for you and try some different things until you figure out your rhythm. And it may change. That's a great point. Absolutely. for you now or what worked for you as an employee versus a consultant yeah. be completely different absolutely the brand new program versus a project that that you've been um um getting grants for for three or four years and it's just absolutely. versus something new you may it may take more time you may need to build some sort of case statement kind of yeah that you can draw from information and yeah different people have different ways of perceiving the world and different but it's worth understanding your own process. And if you're always scrambling and it never feels like you have a process at all, it's worth trying some things to see what works. Yep. Then after you get more confidence and you've been doing it for a few years, maybe with the same employer or client, it may be much more streamlined. Mm-hmm. So it's something to think about, develop, understand that you have a process somewhere, even if it doesn't feel like it, and then know that it may change over time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that will never change over time is is proofing your work, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. And we're this is tip number nine, which I call trust but verify when it comes <laughs> to your grant document. And and um by the time you hear this, we will have already had a podcast episode out about AI and yeah. And there's some, and I'm not going to get into it, all of it now, but obviously there's some, there's AI at work and Grammarly, particularly over the last few months now. And I'm doing that thing where it's like, we're talking to, and now about something in the future, about a podcast that's already happened. So that's a time travel sound. What <laughs> would that sound be? I don't know. I almost want to, I want to sing the song from back to the future. Gonna go back in time. <laughs> I feel it. So back in time, sideways in time. Um, so there's some great editing tools that are out there that even two years ago or a year ago weren't what they are today. Um, use with caution, just yeah. like driving a car. You know, you wanna you wanna check some balances because the best um, AI equipped or non AI equipped um, word um, editing kind of software is not perfect, or it may be fixated on a certain way of saying something, which may not be the right way to say something. Right. Yeah. So yes, use the tools that help you, but they are tools. It's it's not like I get a hammer out and go. 
Okay, go hang that picture frame, hammer. No, it's a tool. I pick it up and use it and make it work for me. Yeah. So that they're great tools, but ultimately the buck stops with you as the ramp pro. Mm -hmm. um, I would um, also caution because some of the simpler, just basic spell check programs will not check certain things, such as um, if you're thinking about um, how just one letter of the alphabet can change public service into something else or food pantries into sort of a foundation garment kind of discussion, then um, you know how powerful it can be to read that over yourself. Um, in my perfect world, I have someone, I'm working with someone, someone at the agency where I'm consulting, um, uh, a fellow team member, to read over just looking for typos. It's also important to lay down what you want people to look for and choose wisely. Because yeah. if you've got somebody that thinks they're writing the great American novel with your grant, that's just annoying. Um, but if you're like, I need to, you to look for typos, that's, that's great. If you don't have that, you're working alone, you're on a deadline, it's eight o'clock, you don't have anyone there, um, go through first and check all the links and numbers because your friend here did not do that one time a long time ago and transposed two digits of a telephone number so that when the funder was trying to call me for, for questions, they couldn't find me. But because they were really nice, they went through the switchboard and found me that way. And I just apologized for their inconvenience and answered the question. And ever since then, I am reading the numbers out loud. Um, numbers, names, and lengths. You don't want to misspell your own name as a contact. You certainly don't want to misspell anyone else's name in the document or the name of the funder. Most embarrassing. Um, if you're by yourself or you're just trying to, you're just one more time, look at it one more time, try reading it backwards. Obviously, it's not going to make sense, but it makes you focus on each individual word and it slows you down because the, the peril of only, you're if you're the only person who ever proofs your own work, is your brain will just see what it wants to see after a while. And if there's a word missing or a word that's not quite right, um, you can also read sections out loud, particularly in the narrative program description or um, need statement, evaluation plan, sustainability, because the, right quick, you'll be able to see, right quick. Hi, hello, Lisa. Um, you'll see quickly um, that it, um, It'll be apparent if the sentence is like way too long or if it doesn't, if you're missing something or if you've cut and pasted and put two sentences together that don't fit, reading it out loud will also slow it down and you're processing it differently and you'll be able to see um, what works and what doesn't. And you may also see places where you can trim and that's really important if you're working on those character counts like we talked about earlier. Yep. So it's tip number nine. Well, and I will say too, if you're the sole grant writer and don't really have anybody to lean on for editing, like I've had uh, grant professional friends reach out and say, hey, would you edit something for me? And I'll do the same in return for you. So we'll just swap out work. And when we do that, we're both very kind about, hey, in about three weeks, I'm going to need some editing help. Probably I, if I can get it to you by this day, does that day work for you? And so we'll try to, you know, each clear some time on our calendar to make that happen. And that's something I've done with multiple different people where it's just like, hey, I need your help. Would you do it? And next time you need something, I'm here for you. And so we just swap out work that way. So no payments, passing hands. It's just a 
I'll read yours, you you read mine, and that that can be really helpful. So you may want to find your editing buddy. You can find editing buddies as long as you're cool and reciprocal and everybody's okay with yeah, it. Absolutely. Also, I've been hired on as a subcontractor um, for really big projects to help yeah. edit, edit down, um, proof. Um, and that also gets back to something that Amanda's going to talk about in a minute about editing. So there's a big difference in proofing and editing, right? Yep. Proofing is just, are all the words correct? Editing is, are, are, are we saying what we meant to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, just know that there are two different processes and it's fine to either ask for help or if you can subcontract someone or do that bartering that Amanda talked about. So all good ideas. Yeah, like Kimberly says, we're rounding out our list, which is top 10 because we like top 10 lists here. Um, You don't want to edit as you write. And like Kimberly said, editing is different different than proofreading. It's not just grammar and spelling. It is more the themes, the context, the, are you saying what you think you meant you said? Um, But if you stop and try to edit your work as you're writing, it'll take you three times as long and it probably won't be as well written. So when you're doing that first draft, it's okay for it to be a crappy first draft, Um, but it's going to have the bulk. Kimberly's laughing. That's my, that's my bad word choice of the day. (laughs) Annie Lamont calls it a shitty first draft, but, but Amanda is calling it crappy first draft. You can call it a stinky first draft. Crappy first draft. Um, But you just want to get all of your thoughts out onto paper, right? So right, 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 right. Don't stop and think, oh, there's a better way. There probably is, but just get it all down. Because if you don't, you're probably going to end up missing some important information that you're supposed to be answering with all those questions you've got. So get it all to the page. Then once you're done, and it doesn't have to be the entire grant. Sometimes I will edit a section at a time because I want this to be nice because this next thing is going to build on it. Right. Um, But then you can come back after you've written to go back and edit. And I found too, I'm typically a better editor the next day because I've had some space and time away from it. So it's, you know, so that's that's something I try to do. And editing is not, you know, it is for content, but also um, editing for character counts too. I don't, if I've got say a 500 word limit, I'm not like, as I'm writing going, whoop, I'm already at 300. Oh, nope, I just write. Now I'm not crazy. I'm not going to write, you know, 3000 words when I only have 500 because I don't want to have to deal with cutting all of that stuff out. But um, part of editing is cutting it down to meet that word limit. And there are some people that have a hard time doing their own cuts, Um, And that's another time when it's helpful to have an editing buddy because they're not as married to it. Like when you write it, it's like, I don't don't know about you, Kimberly, but when I write it, it's my words, right? And I'm like, I can cut. I must be more ruthless. Kimberly's like, whatever. Whatever, man. Cut the fit. So in some thought, you know, especially if you only have a few words here or there, sometimes that's very easy, you know, but it can be, if you've got a lot to cut and you're like, especially if it's something you're really invested in, it can be hard to do. And I have a problem too. Here's one of my, this is not necessarily a writing tip, but I don't know how many times I will send a draft to a client and say, Hey, you'll notice that we're right on the cusp of every word limit. So if you want to add something, we got to talk about what we're going to cut. They always add things and they never cut anything. And usually what they've added, in my opinion, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't even answer the question. So it's always can be a tricky dance getting to that final draft between what the client wants to be said in there and what you think needs to be said in there based on the grant. So editing is fun. Editing's fun. So I have a slightly different process than Amanda. Go for it. Big surprise in our in our podcast this week. 
but I tend to, I tend to look at the word count and because I've been writing for a long time, right? I've been doing this for years. I'm, I'm like, okay, we're just, we're going to do two sentences here, three, two. I mean, I'll, I'll like, because I like to see how close I can get it while still oh. answering questions. Yes. I don't want to go back and yeah. cut three pages because that's not how my brain works, but I'm just really aware. And I've been doing it for long enough that, that, but if you're just starting out you do what works for you, there's no, I, uh, I have collaborated with an incredibly successful, incredibly talented grant writer who writes long and then goes and cuts it. And that is fine too. There's no wrong way to do it. I just have a different process where I'm like, I want to get it as close as I can from the get go. Well, this is why it's good to work with other people and to just talk to other people because you will learn. You're like, that's how you do it. I never would have thought about doing it that way. And it may be one of those things that you're like, because I'd never do it that way, which is fine. Or it may be like, ooh, I didn't even know I could do that. Oh, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. So Um, so there's our top 10. um, I don't know. Those are the 10 writing tips we are sharing today. And any tips either... um, you think it'll make your job easier or you're like, oh my Lord, they are so backwards. Yeah. Just email us about it. Yeah. Maybe it's not if you think we're backwards. Be nice. But um, it's um, just send us an email at hello, hello at heydayservices.com. That's H-A-Y-D-A-Y. <laughs> D-A-Y, D-A-Y. It's not, it's not D, it's not services It's com. We love hearing from our listeners and I'm a lot better grant writer than I am apparently a talker right now. It happens. And it happens. So um, let us know and um, we want to learn from you too. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Kim Joyce and Associates. If you want to learn more about career opportunities and client relations with this growing business, visit KimJoyceAndAssociates.com. That's K-I-M-J-O-Y-C-E and associates.com. Well, we hope you're able to put at least a few of these tips and tricks to use this year. And as always, we're honored that you chose to spend time with us. Um, Join us in two weeks when we are talking with Kara Mostawi about breaking down the silos between grant writing and fundraising and development officers, because really we're all working together. So let's talk about it. Bye. Bye.